glad the pandemic's gone. Amen. How many of you glad it's gone? Just don't let them put it back on us, okay? It's gone in the name of Jesus. We just declare the victory right now. Okay, stand with me as we make our proclamation as we speak before the Word of God comes today. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ears to learn. And God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Friday night we had a meeting here at the church, and Pastor Angela shared a lot of the vision that for 2022, which is right around the corner, just a few weeks away. And I was afraid she was going to preach my message. She walked all over it, kicked it, just like walking around in a car. She kicked every tire, almost every point. But praise the Lord, she didn't completely develop everything, and she left a little bit for me this morning. But uh, we talked about the gospel, sharing the gospel. And as a church... As our church now begins a new season, a lot of people talk about a season. Things go through times and changes. And the seasons change, which my wife loves to see the cold ones come. I'm freezing to death and she's rejoicing. I'm covered up in a heated blanket and she's got the air conditioner on. She likes it cold, I like it warm. I told her, I said, you know, I just don't like shivering. But anyway, but, but there's seasons, okay? We have seasons in our life that we go through. God gave us four seasons that we go through. Many of you are, may have lived in the north and got to see all four seasons at different times of the year. Oh, Tim's back there doing this from Vermont. But anyway, all those four seasons. But we're blessed here in Houston because many times... Like this week, for instance, we can see all four seasons in the same week. We've had it cold, and then we've had it cool, and then we've had it tolerable, as my father would say, and then it's been hot and humid. So we get to, we get to be in season all the time. We get to constantly change here in Houston. I grew up in Florida. We did the same thing down there. So white Christmas for me was on the white sands. But as we begin this new season of ministry, our evangelism, outreach, and growth, it's important for the pastors, the teachers, the leaders, and all of the members to understand that we must never, ever compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must never let our growth come from preaching and teaching what is popular, but we must teach and preach what is the truth. We must teach the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That means we don't take away from the truth, but we don't add to the truth. Okay? Now, many people over the years have added to the truth also, but now we have to deal with those that have taken away from the truth, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So if the full gospel, if it's the full gospel then that's what we need to teach. But there's a new gospel that's being taught today. A new gospel. And I call that gospel light. Teresa did a great job on this. She did exactly what I wanted, and, and I just thank her so much for chasing this thing down and got it figured. That picture says exactly what this message is about. There's a choice. 
between the full gospel, which is weighted in the Word of God. And there's that light gospel that's right up there, but it doesn't talk about all of it, only the easy parts to live. Okay? So, the full gospel, it may not be possible. It may not be popular. The full gospel, a lot of times, is not popular. Now, I know the full gospel is popular here, and you say, why are you talking about something that we believe in the full gospel? It's because we all come from different backgrounds. All of our backgrounds make us who we are today, right? It makes us who we are. The teachings that we've been taught before we got here. Some of you have been here less than a year. Some of you have been here for 20 years, or some of you since the day the church doors were open in the other building, and all the spaces in between. So I'm not sure all that you believe. Do you believe all of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or have you been taught just the light gospel of Jesus Christ and don't know the deep things of God? So it's important that we understand going forward as a church that we must stand firm in the gospel, the full gospel. But why? A lot of people say, well, why? Well, i ask you this. Illustration. If you're, if you're a diabetic and you have to take insulin, you take, the doctor says take five units if it's this or two units if that or ten units if it's this. And so you read your blood sugar and you say, okay. You go to the little chart and it says, okay, okay, I need to take, okay, I need to take three units. Full three units and you stick them in your stomach. Get about your business. And you go in faith that what that pharmacist gave to you was full strength insulin. But what if he wanted to make a little extra money and he diluted it in half? And every day, by faith, you thought you were getting the full dose. But over the years, you begin to deteriorate and you begin to get worse and you started getting numbness and then you started getting things and you didn't understand what was going on and you found out that you've been taking diluted insulin all these years or a pill that was supposed to help you that was just a placebo, didn't do anything but just in your mind you thought you were taking the real thing. So a lot of people... uh, think that that's okay. But to lose anything, okay, even though that would be deadly in the long term, (laughs) the most deadly medicine is the watered-down gospel because it results in a tragic end because it's eternal, okay? So many Christians today are being taught the watered-down version of the gospel, and therefore they are living a watered-down life Full of sin. Nobody likes to hear the word sin. Everybody does everybody know what sin is? Quick. If this, and it is, if this is the target, and each one of you has a dart, and you're not throwing them at me. But I held this up. And all of you threw your darts to hit this. All of you who hit it did not sin. All of you who missed it did. What it means is if this word says to do something or not to do something, to do it or not to do it, and you don't do it, you missed that mark, which means you sinned. And for that, we must repent. That's the simple, that's the simple definition. So, I've had people in, in my preaching career that when I taught on sin, they would tell me that, Pastor, it's not really important what you believe as long as you're saved. It's not important. You say that. Now, I heard, I heard people laugh at that. There are people that are taught that. There are people that are professing to be Christians today that believe that very thing. It doesn't matter what I believe. It really doesn't matter what I do. As long as I know Jesus as my Savior, that's all that's necessary. Believe means to believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ means we do what Jesus Christ said to do, not what we want to do. 
God created us in His image. He didn't. We're not supposed to create God in our image. God says that you have been created in His image. We are to conform to His image. But today, the Word has begun to be diluted to the point that people are out there making God in the image of them. In other words, what they want God to be, that's what He is to them. Not what God really is, but what they believe God is to them. They have molded their life. They tried to mold Jesus, which they can't. But they tried to mold Jesus into becoming like they are so that they can feel comfortable where they are. Now, in the end times, and this is what our ministry is all about. God told me that everybody has a birth date and everybody at some point will have a death, death date. As long as you don't get raptured, okay? The Lord told me very early in my ministry, He says, to get them, He said, that dash in between the two is what makes the difference of whether you make it to the one that you want to make at the end. Whether you go in the grave and go this way or whether you go into the grave and go this way. He said, that life that you live, the dash, is what's important in life. That's what we must do with our lives. But... In the end, he said, there are only two groups of people. God made it very simple. God made everything simple. That's one thing I like about God. He does things. It was black and white, good, evil. You know, everything's one way or the other. There's two groups. One group is called few, F-E-W, and the other one he calls many. So you're either, in the end times, you're either going to be the few or are you going to be a many? You're either going to be a few or a many. Now, a lot of people say, what in the world are you talking about? All right, let's get it. Matthew 7. Matter of fact, Matthew 7 is a very powerful chapter. If you want to read a powerful chapter, it'll shake your boots. Read Matthew chapter 7. Well, we're going to start verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I think we all can agree with that in that day. There's some that's not going to be, but there's some people that's going to say, Lord, Lord. But he who does the will of my Father shall not, inherit, shall not enter into the kingdom of God. He makes it specific. There's only one group that's going to get in there. Who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, that's one group, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? Now, that's scary. This scripture used to scare me to death as a child. It made me wonder about my salvation almost every week. And as a young child, I gave my heart. I ran to the altar every week when they gave the altar call to get saved all over again. Because nobody taught me about the security in Jesus Christ and just the fact of repenting from my sin. And so I grew up with a lot of fear that way. And he said, and then I will say to them, to the many, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So evidently, the majority of Christ's professed followers, what it seems to be saying here, because he said many of them, right? The majority of Christ's professed followers were self-deceived into believing that they were right with God, but they weren't right with God. Their religious activities seemed to have the marks of a genuine ministry, but Jesus, with a broken heart, will declare to them, I don't know you. Why did he not know them? 
Because they practiced lawlessness, they did not do the things that Jesus told them to do. They did not do the things that the Father tells us to do. What do you do to a child that's disobedient? You correct them, right? We have to be corrected by God, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. But we have to yield to that and understand that the Spirit is trying to tell us that some of the things that we need to do, we need to get rid of. Now, people get a little concerned about this, but we're going to get you saved before it's over with, okay? <laughs> we'll get you there. All right. Now, the Amplified Version puts it this way, kind of puts it in perspective. It says, And then I will say unto them openly, publicly, in other words, in front of everybody, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. So we cannot compromise the gospel by living. We can't compromise the gospel by living a life full of sin and calling it mistakes. Let's get clear what is sin. I told you what sin was. That's the Mr. Mark. Okay? But what is a mistake? I make mistakes all the time. We were going somewhere not long ago, and I thought I needed to turn right to get there. I turned right, and I found out real quick, which my wife brought to my attention very quickly, that I had made a mistake. I needed to have turned left. Now, I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't do that with intent. I didn't do it just so I could be wrong and she could be right. Okay? I did it by a mistake. And there are times that we do things, even sin, and we do them by mistake because we didn't know or we, were, we didn't know that particular thing was wrong or we got caught up in the heat of the moment and we did something that we would not normally do. But as soon as that happens, as soon as you find out that it is a sin or you shouldn't have done it, what should you do? Ask God to forgive you for it. Right? Sin is purposely doing something that you know to be wrong and doing it. Because you know that it's wrong. That's the reason why we're going to talk about babes here in just a few minutes, okay? So, in 2 Timothy 3 shows us what type of life what type of life is characteristic of people in these last days. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 says, But know this, know this, that in the last days. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? How many of you believe we're closer to the rapture of the church now than we were yesterday? You all should have raised your hand. That was a trick question. Okay. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, chasing it. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Anybody see that in the world today? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, this is where the satisfaction comes in the church in general. Everybody says, but Brother Graham, <laughs> that's not me he's talking to because I am a born-again child of God. He's talking about the world. Those people out there that are lost and dying and going to hell. So I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that scripture. Then tear it out of your Bible or take a black magic marker and mark it out. If it's not relative to you, then mark it out. But if you understand that 1 Timothy... 2 Timothy and Titus was the teaching to Timothy and to Titus about how to preach to people. This, Paul is not talking about the world. He's saying that this type of behavior will infiltrate the church. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Okay, so he's talking about the church. If you look in, in verse 5, he said, all these people having a form of godliness, they look, they talk, they seem like it. 
But the principle of the duck doesn't work here. You can't act like a Christian, walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, have webbed feet like a Christian, and be a Christian. That's works. That's works. Has to be a heart change. Then all of that is good, yes, it's good to do those things, but there first has to be the heart change. Okay? And so it's not well many times what we see. It's just like people come in and say, How are you doing? Say, oh, I'm great, wonderful. They lie. They're not doing good. They do it terrible. But they want to they make you think that they're doing good. Because we all want people to think we're good. And I know that there are many of you that are good. And I hope I'm good. But, but the thing about it is, we have to look at this gospel light. The gospel light, it has to do with the approach to sin. Because of the watered-down gospel, with grace being the main focus and the teaching of the impossibility of not being able to stop sinning, we have turned sin into being like the common cold. If you sin, it's like you got the sniffles when sin is a major disease. Sin is a major disease. It's not sniffles in our lives. If we don't get the full straight gospel, we could be deceived into thinking that we're really okay when we're actually getting worse. Likewise, the devil is mass distributing a watered-down version of the gospel among God's people. The devil is content to let people go to church where the gospel is often so diluted that they won't make it make any transforming difference in their life. Nothing transforms their life. They give their heart. They say, I invite Jesus Christ into my life. Amen. And their life never changes. That's the false. And I had to write it down. As a matter of fact, you can look at my notes. I wrote it right there in red. Mike, in teaching this morning, said it. Man, as soon as he said it, I said, man, that fits my message to a T. I'm going to steal that from Mike. So I'm letting you know I'm stealing it from Mike. Can I have it, Mike? Okay. This is what he said in Sunday school this morning, and it fits right here. With the gospel light, he didn't say that. With the gospel light, this is what he said. They do not know they are dirty. If you don't know you're wrong, how can you repent? If you don't know what the truth is, how can you repent? So it's important to know, and that was another thing he talked about, knowing this morning, knowing it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come, and I believe it is here, when they will know, will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. And they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I did not understand this was going on in the world until someone very close to me disputed one of the teachings of the old, one of the stories of the Old Testament. I don't remember which one it was, but I'll pick one. Jonah and the whale, whatever. Did not believe that Jonah actually was swallowed by a big fish Stayed in there for three days, which is a symbol of Jesus Christ being in the belly and coming forth three days, right? In the belly for three days and came out. They said that's just a fable. That's just a story or an allegory. It's like a parable. It's not real. It didn't really happen. He just used it for, as an illustration for emphasis. Jesus identified what was a parable every time he taught. If he taught a parable, he would say, there was a man who... He, he lets you know he's talking in parables. He talked in parables because they couldn't understand the truth. That's why he talked to them in parables. Because they couldn't understand the deep, deep parts of what God had to say. And so 
This teaching, that parable, they're already doing that. They're trying to discredit the Bible. They're trying to take away the, author, the, authority, the authoritativeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the entire word of God, and turning it into fables, turning it into stories. We have to make sure that when we tell our children these stories, that they understand. When I was going, does anybody, is anybody old enough, old as me, to remember if, if I told a story what I did? If I told a story to my mom or I told a story to my dad, what did I do in the old-time way? I was lying. If I told a story, then I was lying. It became very difficult when I went to church on Sunday and the teacher said, I want to tell you a story about Jonah and the whale. Oh, she's going to tell me a lie about Jonah and the whale. No. I understood and knew that she was telling me a true story that happened in the Bible. I knew about David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale and the three Hebrew children. As I used to say at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I used to say Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, but anyway, I found out that one was wrong too. But anyway, but I knew that they were truth because I was raised in the church. From the day I was five years old, not five years old, five days old. When I was this big, because I wasn't this big at five. I probably wasn't that big at five days old either. But, so I grew up in the church, so I knew that the Word of God was truth. It was, it was truth. But, Paul here describes two problems. You have preachers who are not sharing the straight message, the complete message, I should say, and you have people who don't want the truth, or the straight message. So there's a problem in the pew. Okay? That people don't want anything that's hard to swallow. They don't like eating meat. They like milk. How many of you today, I can just look at me. You look at me at my age. What do you think I would look like if all of my life, all I ever drank was milk? I wonder what I'd look like if I had drank milk my entire life. I'd probably look like Bill Pillsbury Doughboy or something to that effect. They generally want to what's easy and sweet to the senses the natural. They want something who, that will give them, they want someone to give them the candy-coated, candy-flavored, chewable size, and easy-to-digest gospel. Something that makes it easy so I don't sit there in my seat when the message is being preached, squirming in my seat. I want something that when I come, when I leave, I feel good about myself. We ought to want to leave and feel good about being in the presence of God, doing what God wants there. So, they will not endure, these this few people, will not endure sound doctrine. Look for what they desire, not what God desires. Look for a place that will tell them what they want to hear. But then there's another problem, and that problem comes from right here. And that's the responsibility that God has placed upon Pastor Angela, me, and every person that stands behind this pulpit. Every teacher, every preacher, every leader who stands here, who stands up here, who stands over here, who stands anywhere that's on this platform that comes out of their mouth to the group. Okay? This is the problem up here. Teachers that turn away from the truth, sometimes subtle movement away from the truth, just little bits, and then turning the truth of God into fables. Fables, I've already talked about. The stories of the Bible being looked at as allegories versus actually happening. This is the attack on the authoritativeness of the Bible. And if the Bible can be discredited, which they're trying to do every day, 
Then what do we start believing? We start believing what they say instead of what the Word of God says. We cannot believe what people always tell us. And I will tell you this. If what I teach you up here, you think is not in the Word of God, and I haven't shown you the Scriptures, then you let me know because I want to make sure you understand that what I'm trying to teach you is what the Word of God says. That should be a challenge to all of us because that's something that God put in me. And, and I'll be honest with you, it is a reverent fear that has been in me for my entire ministry and was one reason I did not want to be a preacher because I didn't want to be one. I told God, I'll do it, I'll play, I'll sing, I'll do whatever you want, but don't make me be a preacher. Well, that didn't happen. But the one thing that scared me from the day one was I know that God is going to hold me accountable for what I teach. He said he who teaches has a higher level that he has to live up to. Because if I teach you in error, then I haven't just taught me. I've taught you an error of Scripture. And that is something that always I wanted to make sure that I do that. Because I'm not afraid of the gospel. Not just the easy parts, the hard ones too. Now, getting down to the growth of the church. I got that. Now, that's the introduction, so we'll start on the message now. <laughs> Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is the, it is the power of God to salvation, to salvation, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then also to us Greeks. I have to do that because my wife's got Greek in her. So. so there are two basic ways for us to grow the church. We can build our church. We can build it on people, what, build on what people want to hear and live. In other words, keep everybody comfortable. Never challenge them to living the, what the Word of God says. Just preach them the gospel light. Or we can build our church growth that we're fixing to have on the Word of God, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Angela mentioned we have to be able to measure success. Measure success. I remember back when I was pastoring, we used to go to these monthly, uh, what do they call them, sectional uh, ministers' meetings. And I didn't like them. Because the first thing you go in and you say, how are you seeing there, Brother Bob? Good to see you today. He says, how are you doing, Brother, Brother Larry? It's good to see you there. Said, good to see you. He says, how are you running in church now? I said, well, we're, we're doing okay. Because I didn't like the numbers because my church was not real, real, real big like the big ones. Well, I'm running 250 in attendance now. Well, praise God. Praise God. It became a numbers game. Who had the biggest church? Well, we can build churches on how big they're. There's nothing wrong with having big churches. Don't get me wrong. And our church is going to grow. We're believing God for next year. We're going to have a bunch. I won't use the numbers. So I'll leave that past limits. That's her job. But God's going to bless us, and we're going to grow. But there's two ways to measure success, because we have to measure success. We can measure by how big it is, okay? Or we can measure by the success of how many people are living a gospel life, a fully godly life. If we are living a godly life, we are a blessed church, right? If, and the thing about it is, why, you say, why are you teaching that to us? Brother? We are the godly people. We are. These things don't, don't apply to us. How? But if we're going to grow a church, there's going to be somebody sitting right next to you that it will apply to. Right? If you don't know what you believe, and you believe something, and all of a sudden you, do, you get to know them, and all of a sudden... Hey, I just, hey, I thought, you know, hey, man, I thought I, I wanted to let you know, really enjoyed having you, been enjoying having you in church the last three or four weeks. I thought maybe we could just uh, 
Go out and have a beer. No. <laughs> no. Because then you just portrayed something that wasn't the full gospel. Right? So we have to know what we believe. So we want godly people that would we want to do this. Now, here comes the here's comes the part of the, the message for the church. Okay? Well, all of this that I've talked about, never forget that when a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, I don't care if they're 10 years old, 6 years old, or 98 years old, or older, okay? The day they accept the Lord, they just became a baby, a spiritual baby. We cannot expect a baby to perform at the level of a full adult. Okay? Everyone in, this, everyone in this sanctuary is at a different level of your spiritual life. Not all of us are in the same place, right? We couldn't be. It's impossible for us to be. Because I guarantee you, you didn't get saved the day I got saved. And I didn't get saved the day you got saved. And we probably, I know we're both in the same church in the same place, at the same time, by the same preacher hearing the preached word, and we have lived the same two identical lives from this point forward. We've never been separately apart. Everything, we went to work together, we came home together, we ate together, we slept together, we came home, we went together, we, and we stayed together, so our lives are perfectly matched. So, no, we're all going to live a different life. We're all at different levels. Some people are, there are people that are 50 years old, that are six months old, maybe. So, we have to remember that we cannot put an expectation on other people that are where we are. But we live the life before them to guide them through our actions to the way that they are to be. And they're taught from the Sunday school. They're taught from the pulpit. They're taught from the Sunday school class. They're taught through interaction of the way things ought to be. And guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be nourished and they're going to be growing into another you. Right? Full of the gospel, getting fed the full gospel of the world a little bit at a time. So we all are going to become spiritual parents. If you're not a natural parent, you're going to get the opportunity to become a parent. You're going to become a parent, a spiritual parent, because when somebody gives their heart to the Lord, this church, in, in, in areas of Africa, they call it the, the village, what's it called, the village child or the village whatever. But in other words, when a child is born, he becomes the child of all. I grew up I grew up in a church tribe, if you want to put it that way. I had more than one mother, and I had more than one father. I had a lot of these looking at me and everything that I did. I could look around to do something wrong, and I could look around and say, well, Dad's not here. Mama's not here. I knew better than doing it if I turned around and there was anybody there. And I even had to look and see somebody might be looking out of a window. Because people would tell my mother, I had people in my town, not even going to my church, call my dad and tell him what I did. Because I was a child of that community. If they saw me doing something I didn't need to be doing, I can guarantee you that by the time I got home, my mother or my father knew about it. And it just bugged me. I wonder, where is, the, where is this person that's telling you all this stuff? But that's the way it should be. When we see, we lovingly, lovingly, with the right tone in our voice, guide them and love them into doing those things which are right. That's what we want. That's what we want. Every Christian has a spiritual birth date. 
But that is only the beginning of our walk. How we live from that date determines where we're going to spend eternity. It's that dash part of life that we live that determines where we're going to be the day we lay our head to rest. So that life is important. It's something that's there. Now, there are a lot of things good, but I wanted to... Um, how much more do I got here? Okay. I got to go quick here. Let me go. But I want to show you slide one. Uh, could you put that up for me? Uh, I wanted to... Uh, the gospel light teaching is helping fill... This light gospel teaching is helping fill a wide way to destruction. Because in Matthew 7, 13, 4, it says, Enter into the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go there by it. Here we back to many again. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way. It doesn't say the way to heaven is easy. It's not an express lane. That's the wide lane. It's the narrow way that is a difficult way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will come, will not come unless there is a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed in the son of perdition. Has the falling away already started? I believe it has. Give me that first slide, Teresa. 1990, around 85% of Americans profess as a Christian. That's profess as a Christian. I didn't say they were Christian. I said profess as a Christian. See it at 2001, 81. 2012, 78. 2014, 71. 2015, 75. 2020, 65%. This shows a 20% drop of Christians in the 30 years and a 10% drop in professing Christians in the last five years. Five years from 2015 to 2020. Now, that's professing Christians. That's not necessarily people who go to church and profess to be Christians or anything. I mean, they just profess, I'm I'm a Christian, you know, whatever. Whatever profession means, right? But... This includes all of them. So, when you look at 65%, is that many on this narrow road? 65% of America believe are on the narrow road? Next slide. 2016, just talking about youth. I wanted to show you youth because we're looking for youth. 1986, only 10% of those ages 18 through 29 identified as religiously unaffiliated. Unaffiliated, all right? In 2016, that number had increased to 38%. That big red colored one in 2016. 2020, it had dropped. We don't understand why because everything, everything dropped just a little bit. But in that four-year period, it dropped down. But even at 36%, from the beginning in 1986, it was 10. And over here is 36. That's a 26% increase in kids who don't even recognize God. Now, all those are other age brackets. You can see that all age brackets have grown. Okay? They all have grown. But what concerns me is the number of children that do not even profess to even want to say that they're a Christian. But it's 65% that we saw in America. But what's going on in the world? Let's go to the world map. Now, it's kind of hard to see those colors, so let me explain them. Mine are a little bit different. But basically, if you were to look at the United States, Canada, and across that northern part that's really black up there, that's the 65%, 80% area. But the areas down in South America, Africa, and Australia, okay, especially in South America and Australia, are those that are 80 to 
to 90% and some in the 90 to 100% of professing Christians. That tells me that we have done a better job evangelizing the world about Jesus Christ than we're doing in our backyard. Because ours is going down, other parts of the world, Christianity is going up. That should be a sign to us that there's a job for us to do to be able to get this world, the United States, right here. And we got work that we're going to do, even in Africa. we got those places to go because there's some of those over there that's, that still need that also. And the fact of planting churches. But we need to understand that as our church prepares for growth, let us keep in mind that we are responsible to show the people of the world, both unsaved and the saved, the right way to eternal life. That it's not easy. It's not an easy way. It's not that easy way that takes you to an eternal death. But it's a hard way that we have to live. It requires sacrifice on our part. It requires obedience to God's Word to be able to do what God wants. So, what is the gospel like? I want to leave it to you and I'm going to close. I promise. So, what is the gospel like? It's the comfortable way to... It's comfortable... Worship made easy, no, change, no challenges to the way that you live, and no sin preached. It's relaxed, come the way you are. Sometimes they even serve popcorn, got drinks, whatever you need. Relaxed, come in your halter tops, come in your short shorts, come in your pants, whatever you want to do. No respect for God's house. The gospel light is light on obedience. It's light on accountability. It's light on righteousness. It's light on faithfulness. It's light on holiness living. And it's light on Christian living altogether. But the gospel light is heavy in in several areas. It's heavy on grace, heavy on mercy, heavy on making mistakes, not sin, of course, and heavy on living your life your way, the way you want to be, and and create God in the image you want Him to be, and then live for Him. The gospel-like message is spreading here in the United States and throughout the world because the larger churches have the money to broadcast and to carry this gospel-like message. It is the movement that says that Christians must compromise to be relevant. For us to stay relevant with the children and the youth and to the world, we have to compromise the gospel to be relevant. Why would I want to compromise something that's going to... My whole intent is to get you to heaven. And if I compromise it, all I'm going to do is allow, tell you that it's okay to sin. And then you go out and get sin and still go to hell. I would not be doing you justice to do that. To make it easy for you. Just so that you can go through this life thinking that you have eternal life. When God wants to have a... Now, a lot of people say, well, Brother Graham, this is a very negative message. You just, you just make it hard for people to believe. I'm just telling you, it requires change. It requires a heart change. Out of the abundance of the heart, man speaks. We must not compromise. The opposite is true. Biblical values and beliefs will, will win converts. It will win converts because it's the whole truth of the gospel. Our mission of winning the lost, our message has to be teach and preach the uncompromising full gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the watered-down version of the gospel, this gospel light. Where our, where's our mission field? A lot of people say, where's our mission field? We're talking about Nigeria. we got Nigeria. We're going there. We, we know that. We know that there's a mission field. I know there's a mission field in Uganda. I know there's a mission field in Kenya because we've been there. I know that. I know there's mission fields there. But where is your mission field? Where is your mission field? Where's God called you into the mission field? A lot of people say, well, I, I, God hasn't called me to go anywhere. He hasn't called me anywhere. One day I hope we'll have a, a pastor, pastor Angel was talking about a sign to go outside. I like this, I'd like to see this sign one day, and hopefully it would remind everybody. If you want to know where your mission field is, look around. It's not far away. It's not in another land. It's not on another, it's not on another continent. It's right here. It's right here. When you drive out of this parking lot today, realize that once you leave this property, go outside that gate, 
you just entered your mission field. Outside the walls of this church and the gates of this parking lot lies our mission field. Let us take that full gospel message to Cyprus and beyond. There are Christians out there who are looking for a church that preaches the word. There are people looking and dying to hear the word. And they look and they look and they look and they look. And all they find is the gospel light message. We have the full gospel here. And there's people that want to hear that. And it's our responsibility to get them here so that they can hear that uncompromised gospel that will tell you, you have to clean your life up. You have to do something special. You have to be accountable to God for our reasonable, reasonable service. He never expected us to have to beat ourselves with whips and all this kind of stuff to bring us into Paul said, I daily whip my body into obedience to God's word. We don't have to beat ourselves. All we have to do is want to do the right thing for God, and God will bless this church. If we hold a banner high. There's the unsaved out there that needs to be saved, and they're going to be babes in Christ. And there's the saved out there. And I do say saved because they're still looking for the Word, because they're hungering after righteousness. They're hungering after holiness. They're looking for a separate people, a people that are different than the world. Stand with me. I got to stop. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this day, for your people. God, I pray that this word, Lord, change our lives, not just stir us for a moment, but God, may it make us all, all of us have a missionary's heart to go somewhere out there. Lord, within one square mile of this church are enough people who are unsaved, just unsaved, to fill this church two or three times over. They just need you. All we need to do, Lord, is through your Holy Spirit, help us to invite them, and then you draw them into here. God, I pray that this does and does happen in the name of Jesus. But this way that I talked about this morning, if you're here this morning, you say, well, Pastor, I just, I'm not sure that I'm on that narrow way. I just want to make sure that I am. With every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. Would you just slip your hand and say, Pastor, I wish you would pray for me because I want to be on that narrow road. I want to make sure I'm there. Is there one that slip your hands up this morning? So, Father, we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done today. In Jesus' name. We have now, we have uh, uh, Mike's uh, nephew. Uh, uh, we're going to pray for him this morning. He needs, needs, needs prayer. So if he would come.